evening, Neighborhood Church. Good evening. Good evening. Well, it's a good evening for me, so I hope it's going to be a good evening for you guys. Uh, as mentioned, my name is Louis Halbox. It is a privilege to be here. I'm so excited. Uh, for those of you in person and online, I, uh, I truly don't, I truly believe that none of you are here by accident tonight. Um, that God has something for you today. So as we start things off, let's just bow together in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we look to your word tonight, I pray that we become alive in our lives. Not just words that are written on a page, but truths that are embedded in their being and DNA of who we are. Help us each to become the walking, talking, breathing word of God. Help us each to understand that we are the representatives of Jesus, his hands, his feet. That where we go, the spirit of the living God goes in a unique way because we are individually and corporately the temple of the spirit of God on earth. Make your word truly alive to us tonight, we pray. Amen? Uh, well, it's my privilege to be speaking in the middle of this series. We're in week two of a series called What a uh, Wonderful, What a Beautiful Name. Um, most people uh, like their names. Uh, not everybody maybe likes their middle name, but, but the vast majority of people like their first names. Uh, Dale Carnegie, in his famous book, uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People, he wrote this, remember that a person's name uh, to that person is the sweetest and most important sound in any language. Uh, I'm going to show a picture of our family here next. And uh, our family, we're kind of name people. Um, so my name, as mentioned, is Louis Hulbgoax. My first name, Louis, means mighty uh, or renowned warrior. And my last name, Hulbgoax, means half-growing. You can tell, right? I, I know you're instantly thinking, oh my goodness, is he going to be impressive when he's fully grown? Like that is going to be quite the warrior. Um, my oldest son, so my wife Jenny, who's on staff here as the counselor, is beside me. My oldest son on the uh, far side of the screen is uh, also a Louis. He's Louis Anthony. He's Louis IV. Uh, so my grandfather, my father, me, and my oldest son uh, all are named Louis. I kind of joke about, around about us trying to start a monarchy. Uh, my second son in the middle of the photo uh, is Emmanuel Ernest John Hubgwax. Emmanuel, which means God with us. Ernest John, because we thought Hubgwax was such a simple last name, we'd give him two middle names just to spice it up a little. Actually, Ernest John is for his two deceased great-grandfathers. Uh, when he was born, only two of his four great-grandfathers had passed away, and their names were Ernest John. And then my uh, daughter, our only girl, Emery Cecile Jebet Hubgwax, is named after all four of her great-grandmothers, of which all were alive when she was born, and two of them are still with us today. And then my youngest son, in between uh, my other two boys, Plomin Trent Hulbgoax. Uh Plomin came uh, to our family with his name, his first name already intact, uh, Plomin. Uh, but his name means fire or fiery one. Uh, and uh, Trent is, is my middle name. And there's this connection to family. And there's this connection for him uh, to who he is by his name. Names are important. And in the Bible, they're actually very, very important. Whether it's God engaging humanity or humanity engaging God throughout the scriptures, names are very important. From the story of the burning bush in Exodus, where, where Moses asks God, what is your name? To John chapter 1, where, where Jesus first sees Simon and upon coming upon him, he says, yeah, we're not going to call you Simon anymore. 
We're going to call you Cephas, which translated means Peter, which ultimately means rock, which later on he says, upon this rock, I'll build my church. Names are of incredible importance throughout scripture, whether it's humanity engaging God or whether it's God talking to humanity. So we're in this series. What a beautiful name. And we're basing it on Isaiah 9, chapter 6. We just all said it aloud, but we're going to read it one more time, where it talks about four of the names of God. Isaiah 9, 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall, name shall be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Last week, Pastor John talked about the name of God as Wonderful Counselor, the name of Christ. And tonight, we're going to talk about the name Mighty God. A child is born, and his name that is bestowed upon him is Mighty God. What kind of child is this? I mean, that's pretty incredible, right? Like, I mean, we had the audacity to name one of our kids Emmanuel, which means God with us, but never once did we think, you know what? Let's just straight up call him God. You know, mighty God. I don't think in any hospital ever has there been two new parents holding their beautiful little baby and they thought, you know what? You know what, honey? I'm kind of going between little Johnny or mighty God. Right? What kind of child is this that his name, one of his names bestowed upon him at birth is mighty God? What kind of palace will he be born in? What kind of war what, what, what kind of war-tested parents will he be born to? What kind of incredible celebration will, will mark his birth, this child who's upon entry into the human world, into life, is deemed mighty God? What kind of child is this? Well, there, there wasn't a palace, right? Instead of a palace upon his birth, it was a a barn. His parents weren't like royalty. They weren't war-tested, mighty, valiant warriors. Instead, one of them was a teenage virgin. And the celebration, the celebration, while the decorations were straw, hay, scent de manure, and then eventually a couple of shepherds came in from the field for a couple moments. You see, if you and I were standing at the site, standing at the, at the place and moment in time when Jesus was born, we might think Isaiah got this one wrong. Or, or he wouldn't have been talking about Christ. It, it just doesn't look like a mighty God kind of moment. It just doesn't really look like a, a mighty God entering the very creation that he created kind of moment. This kind of looks like the destitute of society. This kind of looks like a headline you'd see in some grocery store tabloid. Older man takes pregnant teen to barn to give birth to child. If you've seen that on the tabloid, you'd be like, what on earth just went on? And you, and you maybe flip the page and you read a couple lines in and, and all of a sudden there's a quote by the older man, don't worry, now that the teenager has given birth to a child, I plan to marry her. Like, like, this is a wild, the, the Christmas story is a wild and, and, and crazy story. And at first glance, it doesn't look like a mighty God kind of story. At first glance. 
So for tonight, we're, we're going to start, we're going to look at some of the context around Isaiah 9-6. Uh, we're going to look at the first seven verses of Isaiah 9, and maybe that'll help give us a little bit of clarity on some of this mighty God, declarative name of this child who's to be born. So starting at verse 1, Nevertheless, there'll be no more gloom for those who are in distress. Sounds good. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations. By the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at harvest, as warriors rejoice while dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. And then verse 5, right before our memory verse says this, Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be, des- will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. Like, like who knew that this was the verse that immediately precedes that nice cozy verse that we talk about the names uh, of Jesus Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Prior to prince of peace, boots and bloody garments are burning. Then comes our verse. Verse 6, for to us a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he'll be called. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And as a reading of God's word from Isaiah, amen. So did that help us? Did that really clear up? Did that really clear up how a child born in the barn would have the declarative title, name of Mighty God? Eh, Maybe. There was a lot of declarations of might, right? That's good. No more gloom. That sounds good and mighty. People who are living in deep darkness all of a sudden experience light. That's, That's good. That's mighty. That's powerful. A nation that increases and the joy of that nation that increases. Oh my goodness. That sounds good. Who thinks our nation today could use a little joy? An increase in joy, right? Somehow this child is actually going to break the yoke that that burdens people and break the rods that literally beat people down. That, That sounds pretty good. That's mighty. And somehow we've got like bloody boots and garments for Christmas fire kindling. It's a little weird at first, but it's still mighty, right? Never-ending, peaceful government, state. That's good and mighty. This all sounds good, but does the context at first glance clarify why it is that this child has this declarative title of mighty God? So I'm going to try to connect some dots, and I want to ask everyone a few questions. In person and online, Everyone, when you're joining us today, wherever you are joining us today, have you ever felt vulnerable? Has there ever been a point in life where maybe you've just felt vulnerable? Has there ever been a moment in your life where you just felt powerless? Maybe relationally, coming up to Christmas, maybe financially, maybe situationally, just just, uh, powerless. 
Have you ever felt that your world, your life is in just utter darkness or, or just incredible chaos? Have you ever felt like, what, what is going on in my life? For those of you in person and those joining online, have you ever had the feeling that your life, your situation is just so obscure that, that you couldn't possibly have value or worth? Have you ever said to yourself at some point in life, who am I? I was born in the middle of nowhere. I'm from nowhere. I obviously can't be that valuable or have any grand worth. Jesus Christ is born and simultaneously he is born as he enters the world as a vulnerable human and as mighty God. Simultaneously, both. He enters this world that he created that has actually gone dark. He enters it fully human as this completely vulnerable infant, powerless, born in the middle of obscurity, in the middle of nowhere, born into a headline that would read out of a grocery store tabloid paper. But he was born in this situation so that every one of us would know, no matter what our state or situation, that our life, our situation is not so obscure, not so dire, that Jesus, mighty God, doesn't want to enter in to our situation, our life, and where we are today. So that you could know that no matter how dark you feel your life is or your world is, if you feel like you're living in that deep darkness, that God, through Jesus, wants to enter in and bring light. You are not past the point. You are not past the point, no matter where your life is, that Jesus, as mighty God, doesn't want to enter in and dispel the darkness of your life. I want everyone here and online to know that Jesus truly understands what it is to feel vulnerable. No matter who you are, where you were born, or, or what situation you were born into, Jesus Mighty God understands. He can relate to where you're at and he wants to enter into your life today. Know that the darkness of your life can be dispelled. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, Isaiah prophesies about light entering this dark world and dispelling darkness. In John chapter 1, we read these words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him not anything anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him, but to all who did receive him. To everyone who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will or will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of of God. You see, at first glance, the Christmas story doesn't look like a mighty God story at first glance. But as you look at the story and you go a little bit deeper, you start to realize how much of a mighty God story it is. 
you start to see why it is this child who enters our world and comes in the midst of obscurity is deserving of the title Mighty God. The creator of the universe, whom all things were created through, enters the created order as this vulnerable child so that he could fully relate to each and every one of us. He entered into his creation in obscurity in some backyard, backcountry barn, so that no person would ever question if because of their situation, they were, they were too far removed from the love of the heavenly father. So no person would ever have to doubt whether they had value and, and worth based on their situation. But the story of Jesus being mighty God doesn't just end with us being able to relate to him or him being able to relate to us. That's not where it ends. That's really where it begins. The story of Jesus as mighty God goes on and it opens the door for you and I, for every person who would believe in him and call on his name to become children of God. doesn't end with him just being able to relate to our situation. But it starts by him cracking open the door so that every person who would call on him as Lord, as Savior, who would come to him, could become a child of God. In him was life, and that life was the light of, or that light was the life of men. All who received him, who believed in his name, would become children of God. The story of mighty God doesn't end with him just being able to relate to us. But it begins by him opening the door for you and I to become his children. And it doesn't even end there. Because then, as we read through the rest of the story, as you and I become children of God, Jesus actually invites us. He invites us to help him continue to dispel darkness by spreading his light. In Matthew 5, Jesus says to us as his followers, he says, you, you now are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. What a beautiful name. Jesus Christ, mighty God. Jesus opens the door for you and I to become the children of God. And then... And then he enters our life. He dispels the darkness. And through his might, he transforms me into a bearer of the light that he brought into the world. He transforms you into a bearer of light to continue to go into the world and dispel darkness. We uh, lit the uh, third advent candle. And on Christmas Eve, we're doing a candle lighting service. And what I love about candle lighting services is you watch a singular candle kind of enter. That, that first candle is lit, and in a dark room, all of a sudden you can, you can see it from everywhere. And then what happens? Somebody touches their candle to that candle, and then you take that candle and you pass it, and, and you touch somebody else, and all of a sudden you're holding a candle that's unlit, and, and somebody, somebody touches your candle, and, and the fire is ignit, and all of a sudden, within, within moments, a completely dark room 
goes from utter darkness to being able to see a light at a distance to all of a sudden this, this incredible glowing wonder. Because Jesus, mighty God, opened the door so that I could become a child of God, so that you could become a child of God, so that anyone who's joining us online around the world today could become a child of God. And then he invites us. And then he invites us to become bearers of that light. Mighty God. In Isaiah 9.1, Isaiah prophesies about there will be no more gloom for those in distress. In Romans 8, Paul talks about what can separate us from the love of God. Can, can anything, can distress? And, and the answer is no. All of a sudden we realize that Jesus has come to show us that God loves us in such an incredible way that nothing can ever separate us. Despite our external situations, nothing can separate us from this incredible love of the Father. And in Isaiah 9.3, Isaiah prophesies that, that this nation will be enlarged and this nation's joy will increase. Jesus, when he came, he made a way for all people to become children of God, not just those of the Jewish ancestry anymore, right? The nation of, of God's children, all of a sudden it did what? It, it opened up, it increased. And the joy of that nation, John 15, we lit the joy candle tonight. And in John 15, verses 10 and 11, Jesus reminds us that if we, we stay in his love, if we remain in his love and if we follow his commands, he will make our joy complete. The nation increases and the joy of that nation increases. We are to be a people of joy because through Christ, through following his way and, and remaining in his love, our joy can be made complete, fuller. We live in a world that needs some joy. Isaiah 9, 4, Isaiah prophesies that this child will shatter the yokes that burden people and he will destroy the rods that literally beat people down. And in Matthew 11, Jesus tells us that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. You see, there's going to be burdens in life. There's going to be distresses in life. There's going to be stuff, situations, storms, things happen. And we're going to be burdened. We're going to be yoked with something, somewhere. But if we would give ourselves fully to Jesus Christ, mighty God, and allow us to wear his yoke rather than the yokes of the world, his yoke is easy and his burden is light because he is the mighty God. And when we follow him in his way, Things on this side of eternity aren't necessarily always easy, but they're always better. They're always fuller. And then Isaiah 9.5, Isaiah prophesies this prophecy about using bloodied boots and garments for the Christmas fire kindling. And it seems like a crazy verse right before this great verse that we hear these names of God, but it is a verse we actually can't ignore and we need not skip over because it's a little bit harsh. But this verse is actually telling us uh, 
this imagery is embedded into this portion of scripture to remind us that this child, this child is going to completely defeat the enemy, our enemy. He's going to completely defeat all remnants of, of our enemy and our enemy's army. One commentator actually says this language is actually used that the, the boots and, and the bloody garments are going to be burned as, as fuel for the fire. This language is actually used to, 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 to tell you that not only is the enemy completely defeated, but he's defeated in such an incredible way that he's humiliated. In John 19, while hanging on a cross, Jesus says, later knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said what? He says, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. On the cross, our spiritual enemy, Satan, thought he had won because Jesus had just died. Satan thought he'd won the battle because the Savior had just been crucified. He thought he won, but it's on the cross where our spiritual enemy was completely, completely eliminated, destroyed, beaten, and beaten in such a way that he was totally humiliated. Because in the moment that he thought he won, he ultimately lost because Jesus is the perfect spotless son of God sacrificed himself so that our enemy would be defeated, so that you and I could experience eternal life, so that the bondage of sin would no longer have to rule and reign over our lives. He was defeated in a humiliating fashion. At first glance, the Christmas story doesn't really look like a story about a mighty God. But as you start to dig a little bit deeper, you start to realize Jesus Christ is fully worthy of the declarative name of mighty God. Wherever you're at today, whatever's going on in your life, whatever's gone on in your past, whatever, whatever you're feeling, whether you're feeling overwhelmed because of our crazy world or you're feeling darkness because of sin in the past. Jesus entered the world in the most vulnerable state, in obscurity, so that you would not have any excuse to say, God, I'm too far from you. He entered the world with the declarative name of mighty God, with the ability to dispel the darkness in your life, to remind you that the enemy is defeated, that you don't have to be bound by the, by the power of sin, and that you, wherever you're at, can today become a child of God. Jesus Christ, mighty God. Let's bow together in a word of prayer. Oh, precious Father, tonight as we... Uh, the worship band can come back up tonight as we uh, just reflect on this incredible name, as we reflect on this, this story of Christmas, that a child born in a barn in the back country is worthy of the incredible title, Mighty God. It is who he is. And Lord, today, I just want to pray. If there's anyone joining us, whether on per, in person or online, who's not yet a child of God, I want you to know today, right now, if you will just call out to Jesus 
Invite him into your life as Lord and Savior. Ask his spirit to come into your life. You today can become a child of the living God. And Lord, for those of us who know you as Lord and Savior, may we be truly mindful that you've not just opened the door so we could become your children, but you've you've actually invited us into the mission. You've invited us in to be the light that dispels the darkness in our world, in our, in our families, in our workplaces, in our, in our neighborhoods. You've invited us to share and spread the light that will turn a dark world bright. Father, I pray that right now for every person joining us in person and online, that we would encounter your spirit reminding us in a different area of our life where we need to know that you truly are the mighty God. Right now, Spirit, speak to each person. Reveal how you want to move in the midst of whatever situation we're all thinking of at this moment in a way that brings hope, that dispels darkness, that eliminates gloom, that reminds us that our spiritual enemy is defeated, that sin no longer has to rule and reign over our lives, that we are truly children of God. Lord, we thank you that you came born as a child, completely helpless and vulnerable, and you came as mighty God, And today, you want to insert yourself into our lives and transform, transform us anew. We pray this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the mighty God. Amen?